the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's the woman on the beast, the scarlet woman. Who she is and why she is here in Revelation chapter 17, next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, we greet you in Christ and welcome you to today's program. This is Abounding Grace. Today, we turn our attention once again to chapter 17 of Revelation. It's a look at the scarlet woman that sits on the beast. Who she is and the significance of who she is is on tap today. Please join us for today's program of Abounding Grace. Once again, here's Pastor Gary. Now notice in chapter 13 verse 3, there was a similar phrase to what we have in Revelation 17. I saw one of the heads as it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So what is John telling us when he says, this beast was and is not and is coming? Here is what I think he's getting at. I think he is saying... As we see in chapter 12, that this beast has received a death blow by Christ. That Christ's death guaranteed the death of this beast. And yet, in utter stupidity, the beast continues to seek to war against Christ. He was, and then because of the blow he received from Christ's death, he is not but he keeps on coming. What a fool he is. That is perhaps what it means. Or this phrase was and is not and is coming could be a parody of the name of God. Remember, this beast has blasphemous names. Blasphemous because he's taken names that only belong to God. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the thro- his throne. Verse 8, And I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 18, And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Maybe what John is saying is, this is one of the blasphemous names. That God has the name who was, who is, and who was to come. And now, here the state has taken this name over for itself. And that's one of the blasphemous names. And of course... It's difficult to know for sure which one of these are right, but you take either one or both. 
Now, our text talks about an eighth king, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is also himself an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Now, what does that mean? The beast that is anti-Christian, tyrannical civil government who was and is not is himself also an eighth king, and yet he is one of the seven. And whatever he is, he doesn't have much of a future. He goes to destruction. So here, again, is my educated guess. The eighth king is symbolic of the continual influence of Satan on politics in the course of history. It represents all anti-Christian civil governments after John's day. The ten kings are the mighty ones in the earth and all realms of life, such as art, education, economics, politics, jurisprudence, commerce, industry. And the point is that after Rome, there will be more Rome-like nations, and they will be energized by Satan himself, just like Rome was. And just like Rome, they are going to be led to destruction because they will not be able to overturn the purposes of God and his church. And the ten horns, these ten symbols of power, ten kings who have no kingdom, but have authority in every area of life, we see in verse 16 that they are going to work together to cause the woman to self-destruct. But notice how long their victory will be. Verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. For one hour. That is the total length of their triumph. Of course, it is symbolic as we've seen all numbers in Revelation are. But that is the total length of their dominion. How long will these anti-Christian state societies exist in their influence and their dominion over the people? One hour. In other words, a very, very short period of time. Now, what is significant about that? Well, in Revelation 20, it says that the church of God will reign for 1,000 years. Now, we're going to wait to get there to talk about that 1,000 years and what it means. But here is the comparison. Here the enemies of God are able to triumph and can claim victory and can exercise their sovereignty for one hour. Whereas the church reigns for 1,000 years. In other words, as powerful and as ugly and as influential as these Babylons the Great were and are and will be, they have no future. They have no hope compared to the future and the triumph of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever they do to us, 
However, they call us to cause us to suffer compared to the length of our victory. Their time in history is one pathetic hour, one little unimportant hour. And now we also are presented here with a victorious lamb. Let's go to verse 13. It's talking about these ten institutions or areas of society that are powerful, like kings. They have one purpose, one mind. They get their power and authority from the beast. Their whole purpose is to cause the beast to acquire and keep and expend power over every area of life. And they wage war against the lamb. (laughs) That's pretty stupid. We've talked about Satan's stupid war. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, as John has been telling us throughout the book of Revelation. Why? Because he, Christ, not Caesar, is curious. Lord of lords and king of kings. He is the ultimate authority, not any Caesar. And those who are with them, it says, the Lamb are called the chosen and the faithful. Notice these words that describe those in Christ's kingdom and who share in this victory with him. They are the called of God. It's talking here about effectual calling, where God convicts you of your sins and misery and and enlightens your minds in the knowledge of Christ and then raises you from the dead spiritually and frees your will so you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The called and the chosen. Effectual calling is the way by which God gets predestination into time. That those who share in the victory of Christ are those whom he chose before the beginning of time. And then having chose them, he calls them to himself. And having called them to himself, they will be faithful. And they will live for his honor and for his glory and for his victory. That is the gospel. That is true salvation. And he said to them, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes, which we've already seen, and nations and tongues, which are living in rebellion against Almighty God. So in this war, the Lamb always wins. The Lamb won the war with Rome. Rome is just a bunch of fascinating ruins today. The Lamb will win in every war, in every culture against Him. He has unrivaled sovereignty. After all, remember, one of the first things we learned about the Lamb is that He is the one who opens the book of history. And administers the curses and the blessings of God's covenant. Remember? He has everything under his control. How in the world can he lose, beloved? It's stupid to rebel against Christ. The Lamb's army are those who are faithful to him and true to him. Now, I want you to notice the Lamb's battle plan. The Lamb is going to conquer all Babylon's the great. And he reveals his battle plan here, verse 14. 
He says, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. That is exactly what happened to Rome. The battle plan of the Lamb against his enemies is to cause his enemies to self-destruct. Verse 15, For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. So the plan of the Lamb in his war against those who are warring against the church, the called, the chosen, the faithful, is to cause our enemies to self-destruct. Now we've got a lot of enemies in this world. Don't be naive about our enemies in the Middle East and of their threats and their horrors. Don't be naive about the even greater enemies that we have within our own borders, in our own government, and in our own culture. Beloved, they have us outnumbered. In many, many ways, they are more educated and smarter than we are, better organized, and far, far better funded. How in the world do we win? The Lamb causes them to shoot their arrows that they have aimed at us into their own breast, and He will cause them to self-destruct. Do you believe me? Let me read to you some passages from the Old Testament. First, Psalm 57, 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Psalm 37, 14, and 15. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Psalm 11.5 The righteous of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Proverbs 11.19 he who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. Proverbs thirteen six, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. Verse 16 of Revelation 17. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. The very ones that gave her great power and authority are the ones who bring about her demise. 
Read the newspapers with understanding, my friends, and watch for this. It happened to Rome. It happened to Babylon. It has happened to all the Babylons, the great throughout history. Read your newspaper. Listen to the media. Listen to your favorite news sources on the internet and just be sensitive to the times God causes the enemies of the church to self-destruct. And you'll see that more and more as the church repents and as the church is revived by the Holy Spirit of God. Christ's victory over the Babylons of this world is rooted in His absolute sovereignty as Almighty God. God initiates this revolt and brings about the harlot's downfall to the praise of His glory. I love verse 17. Believe it, beloved. Memorize at least the point of it. Watch it come true in the media with our enemies today. Why is it that those horns, those highly intelligent, highly powerful institutions and areas of society that gave the beast and the scarlet woman such power over so many people finally turn against her and destroy her. It was because God put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. When you watch the enemies of the church self-destruct, understand, It is God putting it in their hearts. This absolute sovereign who has the heart of the kings in his hand and like channels of water, he can turn it wherever he wants. That when you see the enemies of God fighting against each other and destroying one another, understand that it is a sovereign God putting that idea, that disposition in their hearts of their enemies to destroy them until all of his words are fulfilled. Now, what are those words of God? It is all of the prophecies that God has ever made in Scripture about the Babylons the Great, about those that rise up against God and seek to build a heaven on earth. Civilizations built upon man's ideals instead of upon God and His Word. They become blasphemous because they take God's name and they apply it to themselves And then they persecute the church. God is going to cause all of the prophecies he has ever made against his enemies to come true. Watch for it as he causes them to self-destruct. An anonymous author said, Even as the first Adam destroyed paradise by his sin, the last Adam destroys a counterfeit paradise By his righteousness. Now here's another thing. I want you to notice that has been already observable in time. It has been in fact throughout my lifetime. When you have a society and a civil government. And everything connected with it. Seeking to build a heaven on earth. A utopia. Where all diseases are cured. All injustices are ended. It always winds up a coercive utopia, so to speak. When man tries to build a heaven on earth without Christ, it winds up a coercive utopia. 
that is, those who have the power, at least as far as man is concerned, have an idea of what utopia should be, and they will, by the power of government and by the power of money, coerce you to go along with their utopian plans. Well, you ask, what is a coercive utopianism? It is slavery. Don't, don't answer me, but can you remember of any time of coercive utopianism in America? We're going to shut down all non-essential businesses and make every single non-essential worker to be quarantined in their homes. Or we'll let you go out and get your groceries, at least for those who have money to purchase after they've lost their jobs after your employers are forced to be closed. But don't worry. We're going to do all of this for your safety, for your security. Of course, every job is essential to feed our families and keep a roof over our heads. But they say, don't worry. Your civil magistrates will provide for all your needs. Really? That is coercive utopianism. You're living in it right now, beloved. So you see, God's enemies never change. And as one man said, the victory belongs alone to the Lamb. It does not belong to the Lamb's army. We follow. He fights the battle. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, who causes us to march in the train of his triumph. He is the one who wins the wars. Revelation 19, 13, and 14. He, that is Christ, is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, listen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. There was not a drop of blood on those following him. His robe was dripping with the blood of his enemies. His armies follow him white as snow. He wins the victory. We share in that victory. But, in Philippians 3.10, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So we do have to suffer for Christ in this life. But it is only the means by which he accomplishes his purposes and he makes us strong. Ultimately, the victory belongs to the one who sits on the white horse and we march in the train of his triumph. So as we read and listen to the media about the Babylon the Great that we live in, what you pray for is not that the conservatives or the constitutionalists or Republicans or whatever will take the reign of this government. But pray, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you have the reign of government. And that you are in control. And everything that is happening right now is for the church's benefit. She has backslidden. And she needs to be rebuked. She needs to be chastened and judged. 
so that someday she will be brought to repentance and real spiritual power. Lord Jesus, we know the victory is yours. And we look to no man. We look to you to give us the victory in all of these areas of life and to cause our enemies to shoot their arrows into their own breasts. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you once again, Lord, for this very encouraging passage of Scripture. Oh, help us to believe it. Help us to live consistently with it in the battles that we have to face in this American Babylon, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 